Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I think we're in for a delightful episode tonight. The topic, I, I really like this. What? What? Me worry? And our guest tonight is Dean Slider. We're going to bring Dean on in just a minute. But I, I, um, I wanted to touch on this, this notion of worry. Um, it, it comes to mind how I think the most... Uh, common passage in the Bible is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And um, so often in our, especially with the social media and the mainstream media, there's so many stories of fear and anxiety for a lot of people that um, I'm sure a lot of them, why I see it, it's it's quite clear that um, there's there's an element of, of humanity that's really wringing its hands. It's very anxious about the future. It has some serious concerns and worry about um, is the apple cart going to tip over? And, uh, and you know, the notion of worry is like, it, it, it's kind of a vote for failure, really, in, in the sense that it, if you let go of the reins in the sense that you think a situation is hope you think that a situation is hopeless that you've really kind of disconnected in in the sense of casting your vote if you will um energetically or karmically casting your vote when you worry it's that there's a disconnect that happens and Certainly, people people want to have a sense of confidence. People want want to have a sense of I'm going to make it. There's there's a path here for me. There's a um, there's a way that I can propagate this this unknowingness, this unsurety, if you will, chaos. Really, um, to to have a sense that there's there's something on the other side. There's um, there's something worth the journey, if you will, that that I want to keep my my skin in the game. I want to keep my hand on the wheel, perhaps, with a sense of intention. The, the power of intention is actually a very powerful place to observe something where you don't know what the outcome is. And there's Chaos, you know, the the wake of change, if you will, chaos really, in a sense, is a sign of a deeper level of change, is a sign of a, a deeper unrooting of the past, if you will. And I know that um, humanity, if you look at this this decade, these years, if you will, that we're going through, we're at a real pivotal point of the trajectory, if you will, of humanity on this planet. And for us to have an intention that it's going to turn out in a positive light, that we have an intention with our actions, so we have an intention with how we look at things, it can, it can give us an an anchor point, if you will, within the chaos itself, just our own intention, just our own intention, regardless of what our eyes are showing us, regardless of what our ego might interpret as chaos, our intention can be a very very powerful fulcrum, a leverage point, if you will. And um, I think our conversation tonight's going to touch on that. Um, I mean, I mean, really, really, what, what, me worry? Are you kidding me? So I think we should jump to it because I know Dean's gonna gonna bring some content that I I think we'll all enjoy. Dean has taught 
natural methods of meditation and awakening throughout the U.S. and beyond since 1970, from colleges and yoga studios to corporate offices and maximum security prisons. I bet, I bet there's a story or two behind that. He is known for his warm, funny, down-to-earth style and for making authentic, life-transforming teachings accessible and easy. A grateful student of sages in several traditions, he has completed numerous retreats and pilgrimages to India, Tibet, Nepal, and the West. Dean's books include Natural Meditation, a winner of the Knotless, Aware for the best book on body, mind, and spirit practices. He has appeared frequently in national media, including the New York Times, National Public Radio, Coast to Coast AM, and Oh, the Oprah Magazine. When not writing or teaching, Dean plays a ukulele, sings with the West Side Threshold Choir, and happily rides his Vespa through the streets of Santa Monica. And you can learn more about Dean at DeanWords.com. Join me in welcoming Dean to the show. Dean, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here again, Les. Well, you've been you've been immersed in um, perhaps your life path since 1970, I mean, yeah. I, just... <laughs> I, I heard you say that in the you reading my bio. I said, really, 1970? Gee, let me do the math on that. Whoa, that's going to be a bunch of years. <laughs> well, I mean, just just pause for a minute and and reflect, if you will, about the changes that that you have discovered with your within your own self from a journey right. that that has spanned so many years well for me the journey really began even before 1970 it, it began in childhood uh i had a number of sort of spontaneous experiences of of kind of opening up of awareness uh, during childhood that, you know, I hadn't been looking for. They just happened to me. And I don't think that that it is because I am anyone special. I think that happens to a lot of people in childhood. Uh, but for the most part, we're not given a, um, a frame of reference for that. We're not given the vocabulary to, uh, to talk about these things that happen. So we just kind of shrug it off and go, oh, that was weird, and, and we forget about it. You know, there's a story that when the, the, the Buddha was uh, sitting under the, the Bodhi tree where, you know, the great story, he took his vow, okay, I'm going to remain here until I reach final total enlightenment and supposedly sat there for 49 days and nights. And near the end, as he was sitting there and started to you know, open up into, into, you know, just awakened awareness, he realized, wait a minute, I've experienced this before. This happened to me when I was a kid. I was sitting under another tree, uh, under a rose apple tree on a, on a warm summer day, watching my dad supervise the plowing the fields and just the plow going back and forth and back and forth. And, just, and, and that, the things opened up for me then, and, then, and I forgot about it. So that, that was like that for me as a, as a child. Um, uh, only in my case, I didn't forget about it. I, I kind of went, whoa, what was that? And started, you know, as soon as I was kind of intellectually old enough, around the age of 15 or so, I started seeking out the books, reading books like the Bhagavad Gita and the Tao Te Ching and, and the Upanishads, which were a lot harder to find <laughs> in those days than they are now. And uh, I'm going, oh, okay, this stuff that happened to me, these opening experiences were not just some weird thing. This has been around for thousands of years. People talk about this. And, and it's not just some weird phenomenon. It, it's, it's kind of connecting to the, the basic beingness, the basic sort of ground floor level, not only of my own consciousness, but of existence, that the quiet place, the silence, which is the, the background to all the noise, to everything that goes on. 
So absurd. So in a way, it's hard for me to talk about the changes uh, because it's it, it sort of been going on all along. I mean, I have found I did early on start finding teachers who could show me how to get back to that place in a systematic way through, you know, what we call meditation and and other alive methods. And as I started doing that regularly, I, I started noticing, for instance. Uh, I started going to weekend meditation retreats, just two, three days. And after about the fourth or fifth one, uh, I'd come home, and my girlfriend at the time said, you know what, every time you come back from one of these weekend retreats, you're a little bit nicer. And I said, I am? Oh, okay, I didn't know that. (laughs) She said, yeah, it's just, it's like your rough edges are getting more and more, smoothed out. Uh, And so sometimes it's like that, you know, real change can be so organic and incremental that sometimes the the people that know you best, the people who are close to, they see it before you do because you're right in the middle of it. Right. You know, it's, uh, I guess it's kind of like the notion of sprinkling flour on the kitchen floor to see if you sleepwalk. I mean, if you're sleepwalking, <laughs> you don't yeah. know you're doing it. I mean, so how do you right. how do you quantify something that you might not be aware of? Like, you know, if you right. if you get too close to the noise, in other words, if mm-hmm. you get too engaged in the uh, the chatter, if you will, of of the mm-hmm. um, society, it, you might lose sight of of where you've been. Uh, um, to to really seek because I like the example you you used with your girlfriend mentioning the changes that weren't so mm-hmm. obvious to you. Right. You know, right. it's almost like dropping breadcrumbs to to get a, right. a sense of distance or a sense of, right. of some some way to quantify change and. When we talk about peacefulness, when we talk about um, to, to be able to embody ourselves, to be in our body and be at ease, sometimes mm-hmm. at ease, um, peacefulness, rest, is kind of hard to measure because things kind of drift away in that. So it's right. We, it's we, we do have that. Some of the changes were so subtle. Right. And we, and we do have, you know, we can measure some of the, the, the objective correlates, the neurophysiological correlates, and, and that's been going on for decades now, bringing meditators into the lab uh, and, and putting the, the, you know, the, the uh, EEG leads on them and measuring their heart rate and all of that during meditation and in some cases taking long-term meditators and, and measuring what their responses are like outside of meditation. And there's definitely a shift, and all of it is consistent with, just to put it in layman's language, the engine runs cooler. You know, if you, oh, right. if you, ever, if you ever had an old junker car when you, you stop at the red light, just for it to just be sitting there, not going anywhere. It's so noisy. The engine is running so hot. And, you know, and things are, it just sounds like a bag of bolts, you know, clunking along just to be sitting there, <laughs> not going anywhere. And, and I'm sure you've known people who are like that. You're just sitting at the table with them uh, and, you know, maybe talking about what they're going to do and, and not really doing any of it yet. And it's just, they're just running so hot. And meditation definitely helps you to, uh, and it's, you know, again, neurophysiologically real. Things settle down. Things get run in a, in a cooler way, uh, not just during the meditation, but the, you know, the key is the, the carryover, that when you come out, more and more you go in with that cool engine. And that means you see things better. You see more clearly. There is less, as you say, there's less background noise. Um, the, your, your signal to noise ratio goes up, so you can see more clearly what's going on. And bringing us to our you know main topic tonight, what me worry, uh, 
you know, I, I mean, we can, to a certain degree, we can define worry as needless mental noise. Well, what about this? What about that? What about, you know, all of these stories, all of these scenarios, uh, most of which are never going to come to pass. Uh, and, um, and we get caught up in them, uh, kind of living through them and suffering through them, uh, even though they're just, they're just completely on the level of fantasy and getting caught up in them in a, with that worried affect does not help us prepare for them. And part of the problem is that the idea of worry as something positive, as something useful, is uh, it's reinforced by almost everyone we know. It's reinforced by, by the news media. I see this all the time. Whatever is the, the current topic, now it's coronavirus. Okay, obviously we want to get the best information we can. What's, what, how big of an actual threat is coronavirus to me and my family? What are the practical steps that I can take to protect myself and my family? But the way it's presented is, okay, should we start worrying about coronavirus? Well, if you hear this, right. then it's time to start worrying. You know, should we start worrying about the stock market? Should we worry about interest rates? Should we worry about, you know, and I don't know anything about coronavirus. I don't know anything about the stock market. But I know the answer to those questions. The answer is no. Don't start worrying about <laughs> them because that's not only unproductive, it's counterproductive. Right. Now, the, the, interestingly enough, uh, going back to my childhood experiences of kind of opening up to this, this inner silence, uh, and I had a number of them, but the most dramatic one, the way that it came about, if I can take a minute to tell this story, is uh, I was about 11 years old. We were living in Woodland Hills, California, and... Uh, my mom sent me out to the garage because we were going to be going to a drive-in movie that night. <laughs> those, those of your listeners who are old enough to remember drive-in movies. And, uh, and I had two brothers, and so the back seat of our car was all filled with our toys and comic books. And my mom sent me out to the garage to clear away the toys and comic books before we went to the movie. So I go out there. And I'm picking this stuff up. And even at the age of 11, I had a very noisy mind. And it's caught up in, oh, what about this and what about that? I, I don't, can't remember the specifics, what it was that I was spinning my wheels about. But I was spinning my wheels, well, this and that and blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, I'm picking up the toys and comic books. The next thing I pick up is a Mad Magazine. And on the cover of Mad Magazine, as always, is a picture of their idiot mascot, Alfred E. Newman. And under his picture is his motto, what, me worry? And I swear to you, Wes, time stood still. All of a sudden, I saw my own mind. I clearly saw what was going on in my mind and what had been going on in my mind, which is always blah, 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 blah. And I realized this thing is called worry, and I'm doing it. It's not coming from the outside. I've been choosing to do that. I've been leaving my foot on that gas pedal and revving that engine, and now I can take my foot off. And I did, and I stopped worrying, and I went into what, you know, later on, some years later, I started reading these books. I learned the words, and I realized later on what I went into was a deep state of samadhi, a deep state of just what it felt like was as if the top of my head just opened up to the heavens and the, the silence of the boundless sky and what was going on in my own awareness. They were one. Uh, I mean, I know it may sound woo-woo to describe it that way, but, but you know, sue me. That's what I experienced. So it was pretty cool. There was my first really crisp, clear experience, you know, a glimpse of enlightened awareness. And, it, and my first guru, the one that, you know, that, that uh, turned me on to that was Alfred E. Newman. 
<laughs> and the, and and the way into it, the 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 pith instruction, the you know the wise enlightening utterance that he gave me was what me worry. You just hey, you you don't have to do that. You can drop that. Right. Well, you talked about you talked about how it felt when you mm-hmm. when you uh, transcended mm-hmm. the moment, so to speak. I don't want to put words in mm-hmm. your mouth, but. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's almost like our, our measuring stick in and of itself is the conundrum because in society we're, we have so many um, expectations that are projected out about what we, quote, should be doing, unquote. Kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a bar for us to um, achieve to. And when you talk about that moment of transcendence, it seems more of an unraveling than a than a perhaps a creation, if you will. Yeah, that's actually a very good way to put it. Um, people often think of uh, transcendence or awakening, enlightenment, as something additional. Like, like we're going to add, like I've been living my life, I've been having my experiences of, of moment-to-moment living. Now on top of that, we're going to add some special whipped cream and a cherry and some, some sliced almonds. Um, uh, and, and that's very misleading because they're going around looking for something, think as if there's something missing from this moment, this extra special, super-duper, you know, like cosmic, 24-hour-a-day cosmic psychedelic orgasm I'm going to be having. So I know when I started going into this stuff, you know, that's what, you, you know, in, in the hippie days, uh, a lot of us thought that that's what it was going to be like. Uh, but you know what? That would be just another experience. That would be just one more, you know, it might be really a spectacular experience, but still just an experience, just another thing on the screen of our awareness. Well, it turns out that real awakening is settling into the screen itself, into this silent, open, sky-like, space-like, aware space within which all our experiences come and go. And for everyone that has that, for everyone that awakens to that, there's always what I call the forehead slapping moment. It's the you know it's the Homer Simpson moment where you slap your forehead and you go no, because that's when you realize oh this has been here all along. How did I overlook this? Because I was looking for something else. I was looking for you know some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and it turns out it, it was right here all along. Right the. I, I like how you put that. It's, I mean, I mean, let's let's just focus point, just point blank in in a blunt mm-hmm. way. This notion of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, for so many people, when they're on their quote spiritual journey end quote, they're trying to mm-hmm. assemble themselves or 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 get get the parts to fit together, if you will, and. For myself, well, I, I think it's a it's a pretty common perception that enlightenment really is a discovery. It's not a creation. It's a discovery of what has mm-hmm. been since the beginning of of your being. Right. right. And and to, it's more of a undoing, if you will, the, the, um, to quit looking and and allow it to. Um, manifests itself it, it's an eternally present aspect of ourselves it seems yeah it's it's to and it's the the most it's the deepest it's the most basic aspect of of ourselves of our existence and of existence itself and 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 part of the reason that we miss it is that instead of seeing what's right in front of us we see our ideas of it we see our concepts about the stuff that's right in front of us. And if that's always easier to see with other people. You know, have you ever experienced, 
you know, you're dealing with someone, maybe it's someone you haven't seen for a while, you, you run into an old friend from, you know, the job that you worked 10 years ago or someone you knew in your, in your school days or something, and they've got some idea, or, or maybe even someone that works with you every day, and you realize that they have some idea of you that is really wrong. They, they don't see the real you. They only see their own idea of you. So when they're talking to you, they're not talking to you. They're talking to, them, to, to themselves in a way. They're talking to the, the, the idea of you that's inside their own skull. Um, so it's easier to see when other people are doing it. But in a sense, we're, doing that, we're all doing that all the time, uh, or at least most of us are doing that most of the time. We... We have these ideas that we know what everything is. Oh, okay, this is just the, the this is the hardware store. I've been here a million times. Um, um, it's just the hardware store. I'm just here to pick up, uh, you know, some some new wiper blades from my car. It's just it's just that. In other words, it's um, we could say it's drab. It's ordinary. It's not the good stuff. It's not when I think about enlightenment, when I think about the most beautiful gem-like experience of life that I want to be having, I don't think of going to the hardware store to get wiper blades. But what all the great teachers tell us is, no, that's where it is. It's getting wiper blades in the hardware store. That is, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. And that it's a matter of letting go of your concept of it, your reductionist concept that it's just this thing, and and relaxing into the experience of this moment. What is it really like to have your, you know, as you're standing in line at the cash register to, to pay for your purchase, just to be standing with your feet on the ground? I, I learned a lot about this from my daughter when she was a toddler. And I would watch her, um, I remember in particular one moment, it was, it was in, in mid-afternoon and there was this very strong sunlight streaming through the window and it was hitting the back of a wooden dining room chair with a wood grain on it. And she was looking at this wood grain and just running her hand back and forth on this wood grain like it was the most amazing thing she'd ever seen. And, you know, people who have kids, if they're lucky, if they're astute enough to pay attention, our, our kids are really the, the true gurus. They're really the teachers like that. Because then I looked at that wood grain and go, wow, this really is amazing. You know, if all of existence is, is amazing if we just open ourselves to it, to, instead of just the stories about it. This is for this. This accomplishes this. And just this is what it is, not necessarily as, oh, this is a step to the next moment, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. Just living in this moment and really experiencing how it is. And, and it's, it's very useful, of course, to meditate every day, uh, ideally every day, to close our eyes where we're just being, where we're just, and, and meditation in the sense that I've been fortunate fortunate enough to learn it from my teachers and the way I teach it in my workshops and in my books, uh, which is that it's not trying to concentrate. It's not trying to control your mind. It's not trying to suppress your thoughts. It's actually just, it's not doing any of that. It's not doing anything at all. It's just being. It's, and, and then sitting there with your eyes closed where there is no possible purpose. There is nothing to do you start to settle into yourself, settle into the richness of just being. And then more and more as you come out into the world, you come out into the hardware store, you come out into, you know, parking your car, and more and more you're, oh, that richness is it's here everywhere. It's all the time. Right. Well, I like what you're, you're talking about. The, for for people to go through a, a quote spiritual awakening unquote, um, a lot of times there's 
a type of struggle or hardship in their life that mm-hmm. that kind of pushes against them, pushes against themselves. And part of that, that awakening is, uh, I mean, you're looking for the light, so to speak, since I'm, I'm using metaphors, but... Um, yeah, no, it's, um, no it's, 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 it's true. A lot of people, they, they have to bottom out in one way or another before they'll, they'll start looking for something else. Uh, you know, I was lucky, as I say, because things started to open up for me in childhood, so I've not had to have a lot of, uh, you know, hardship to, in, in order to get me to, to seek that light. Although every time I say this, my wife says, no, wait a minute, Dean. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you've been through some rough stuff. You've, you've been through watching your first wife die of cancer, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and it's true. But, but for a lot of people, uh, you, you know, the, the old model, the model where, okay, I'm just going to accumulate a bunch of stuff. I'm going to accumulate successes. I'm going to, you know, whatever that we, we, could, we could call the non-spiritual model of life. They have to pursue that to a point where it doesn't work for them, where it breaks down. Uh, so very often it's going to be uh, when someone close to them dies or when they have a, uh, a serious illness or perhaps they have a, uh, a big career crisis or they have a relationship crisis, uh, something, somehow the old model isn't working. So then they go, oh, hmm, what else is out there? You know, and this is in, in, the, in the, the terms in which the Buddha taught, this is the first noble truth. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering. You have to look at suffering for most people. See some suffering in your life uh, in, in, as, as step one to, to start to ask the question, okay, where do we go from here? And, and uh, the notion of, of uh, going someplace to accomplish, um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I go back to the spiritual awakening thing because the, the point I'm, I, I was looking for is, um, well, for example, before the show, you were sharing with me the the role of the West Side Threshold Choir, and I want you to touch mm-hmm. on that. Um, sure. But when we look for a, um, um, a quote spiritual journey or a spiritual awakening, um, sometimes we can hold this uh, lofty idea of, well, I'm not really being spiritual unless I'm 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 moving mountains. I'm I'm doing mm-hmm. what my ego would quantify as big work as right. as effort if you will but right. there's there's I I think there's an insane amount of power in the mundane if you will I really like the roomy quote where the profane becomes sacred again and uh-huh. what, what I'm getting at here is um in order for you to quote fulfill unquote your your life purpose or your mm-hmm. spiritual awakening, sometimes it's by, like we, you were saying, chopping the wood and carrying the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we probably all have the experience of, I don't know, maybe you're on a train or a bus or an airplane and maybe you're, you're, you're caught up in something going on in your life or you're just sitting there just kind of in a, sort of sh- shut down way and someone comes walking up the aisle that's got a big, in a very genuine way, big smile. Maybe they give, give people a big high. Maybe they're singing the song, something. And it's just, Oh yeah, right. Joy right here. It's so natural. It's so simple. Thank you very much. Kind, joyous stranger for reminding me for sort of, you know, uh, helping reopen my eyes to that space of natural joy. Uh, so, so since we've all had that experience, why not be that person? Why not, you know, I used to have a, I, write, I have a story about this in one of my books that uh, 
you know, in, in, in Buddhist teaching, they talk about the bodhisattva, the person that dedicates their life to the, the you know, awakening others and helping leading others out of suffering. Well, when I lived in New Jersey, I had a mailman, Dave, the mailman. He was this small guy, and I swear, every day that I saw him, I would, when he would come to our house to deliver the mail, or I'd see him on his right, because I would always walk a lot in the neighborhood. And he had a smile and a friendly, you know, word for every single person that he encountered. He'd be going from house to house singing songs. And I thought, wow, this guy who no one knows his name, you know, Dave, whatever, Dave the mailman, uh, uh, he's probably bringing more happiness and peace into the world than a whole lot of people whose, you know, names you see on, in the headlines every day. Right. Well, um, if you would, please touch on the West Side Threshold Choir. Cause yes. When you told me yes. what that was. I mean, oh, my right. gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, the, the actual action is yeah. really quite simple, but the effect right. is so profound. Right. So the um, so I've been singing for the last year with the, the West Side, that is West Side of Los Angeles, chapter of the Threshold Choir. Threshold Choir started some years ago in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there are now chapters all over the United States and in in some other countries as well. Um, And it was started by uh, a a woman who was at the bedside of a friend who was dying, I believe, of cancer. And and the, the woman standing there was feeling so helpless and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to be uh, at the bedside in a way that would be helpful. And she was feeling kind of nervous about it. And so she fell back on singing. She started singing. And she started just quietly singing some song or other to her friend. And it really kind of helped change the atmosphere. It made She, she noticed that it made the atmosphere more peaceful and it made things better for her dying friend and for the other people in the room. So she founded this, uh, this uh, threshold choir. And, and what we do is we go out in groups of usually three or four and sit at the bedside with people who are in hospice or people who are in some cases in hospitals or in private homes who are nearing the, the, the threshold of, of passing out of this world and sing songs to them, uh, quiet songs. A lot of them are along the lines of, you know, you're surrounded by love. I'm sending you light to hold you, to heal you. Um, You know, so many angels all around us here. Uh, This kind of thing. And uh, and it's a very, very beautiful thing. Wow. I I just, I mean, that (laughs) when you first told me about it, it just, it struck a chord. It's yeah, uh, yeah. So and, often and, and, the, the the idea of a, a spiritual awakening, we we have this vision of heaven and glowing orbs and uh, you know uh, an arena full of angels, but mm-hmm. you know really it's um, life is this never-ending story, and that, uh, mm-hmm. I like the idea of. Um, a homeless mother, and and she's really been through the ringer, if if you will, not not even a place to call her own. And through mm-hmm. through struggle and effort, she finally gets back into her own apartment or even a a room that she can call her own. And she has a door that she can close and create her own space her own mm-hmm. safe space. The mm-hmm. the joy of that, even though perhaps to 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 the so many people who have so much, the joy mm-hmm. of such a simple step can be right. as as profound as walking through the proverbial gates of heaven. And and I really sure. like what you're talking about um you're at the hardware store. The sunlight is hitting right. the back of the chair. Right. Where are you looking right. for these moments of, of awakening? Because right. 
there's a sea of them with within right. you as you go through your day. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the more you get tuned in, the more you realize there's nothing but that. There's nothing right. but that. There you know, you one of my very one of my very favorite teachings is 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 in the Gospel of Thomas, which, uh, as I'm sure you know, it's one of the left out gospels, one that didn't make it into the Bible because it was it was it was a little too uh, on point for a lot of people. It was hidden in the sand until I think 1946 or something. Um, and and right near the end of the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says. Um, and we're familiar with in, in, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, he says the kingdom of heaven is within you. And those of us who are tuned in to meditation, you know, we tend to quote that one a lot. But though in the Gospel of Thomas, he says the kingdom of heaven is spread upon the earth, but people don't see it. Right? And, and I imagine, I always imagine Jesus saying that and like, you know, just kind of turning his palms up in disbelief. It's like, how do people not see this? There is nothing but this kingdom of heaven. There is nothing but that richness of being. But, of course, there is an explanation. We do get caught up in concepts. We get caught up in worry. We get caught up in all these stories. And, and you know, it's not our fault. Um, and it is, to a certain degree, physiological. As I was saying before, we, as we get caught up in these things, our our neurological motor runs hot and it's hard to settle down and see what's in front of us. And again, this is why it's so useful to practice natural meditation. And I want to mention, by the way, that uh, if people come to my website, which is deanwords.com, that's deanwords.com, uh, they'll see a link right on the, on the homepage uh, that's Meditate Now. And this is all free. It's open to everyone. And if they go there, um, they can access audio tracks where I walk them through this natural meditation because it is, as I said, it's effortless. It's the opposite of all this concentrating and trying that people associate with meditation. Uh, But because it's so simple, exactly because it's so simple, because there's nothing to it, most people need to be walked through it at the beginning um, uh, just to, to keep you from making it complicated, to keep you, because we're so in the habit of putting effort into everything we do that, uh, you know, and as you read in my bio at the beginning, I've been doing this for 50 years, so I've gotten pretty good at sort of pulling those rugs out from under people and, and you know, pulling out the rug of, of effort. And then they go wee and go into a little bit of free fall and see, oh yeah, this is this is really easy. There really is nothing to it. Right. Well, so let's let's kind of tie it all together. I mean, so for a topic tonight, what mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. me worry, and then mm-hmm. the notion of uh, we're really uh, walking through heaven itself, if you will. I, I love the. Mm-hmm. The example used from the scriptures that what me worry um, um, attitude towards self and the notion that what we're seeking we bump up against all through our day. How do we how do we find the sweet spot, if you will, that mm-hmm. that um, effortless groove within ourselves where we can. Mm-hmm. Anchor, mm-hmm. anchor our right. knowingness. So the notion that when when we're offered opportunities to worry, we don't really have any value in choosing that. Yeah. Well, I would say I would say two things, two main things. One thing which we just touched on is the is is practice. You know, you you want to do the fire drill before the fire, uh, and in this case, the fire drill is sitting down from time to time, ideally every day. It doesn't have to be really long, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that, and, and practice some form of this natural meditation of just letting go within yourself uh, you know, as I walk people through on, on my website um, so that the nervous system gets used to hanging out in that place of not being riled up. 
uh, of not being caught in the habit of being riled up. So that's one thing, practice. The second thing is view, is having a clear understanding of, of what's what. And in, for the, this purpose, my favorite quote is from uh, a, um, a, a great Buddhist sage named Shantideva. And he wrote, if there's a solution to the problem, what's the point of worrying? If there's no solution to the problem, what's the point of worrying? I like that. <laughs> yeah. You should know where to hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and that, that one, I like the way that kind of stopped you in your tracks. That that does that has that effect on a lot of people. You know, if there's a solution, I'm gonna say it again. It's so good. If there's a solution to the problem What's the point of worrying? If there's no solution to the problem, what's the point of worrying? You know, either way, it just, it just does not help. It doesn't help. You know, they, did, did you see that film? It was in uh, about five years ago, uh, the film Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks. Um, oh, yeah, and it, it was, I did. Yeah, and, and it was based on the, 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 the true story of um, um, uh, what was the spy's name? I think it was Rudolf Abel. He was he was a Soviet spy during at the height of the Cold War, captured in New York, and he's put on on trial. And uh, Tom Hanks plays his his uh, uh, American appointed lawyer, and uh, 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 the spy is played by Mark Rylance, great great actor. And on their first meeting in the in the cell, Tom Hanks, the lawyer, is telling him, "Now you know that the Americans want to see you go to the electric chair, and the Russians want to see you go to the electric chair. You're you're a very inconvenient person." And and the spy thinks about it for a moment, and he and he kind of shrugs. He says, "All right." And Tom Hanks says to him, "You don't seem worried." And he thinks about it for a moment. He says. Would it help? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so there, there like it that. is. There, there it is, right in your face. Would it help? And this doesn't mean that when you find yourself worrying, you should try to suppress it. You should try to, okay, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to, I'm not going. You know, if it kills me, because that doesn't work either. But what it means is, if you just see through it, just really, really clearly see. Absolutely and positively, you know, here's another way to, to, to think about it. Imagine kind of your whole life, like if your whole life, if there was a movie showing your whole life from the moment of your birth right up to this moment as you're listening to this show. And, and it's your entire life, everything you went through, all the jobs, all the relationships, all the this and the that. Everything that happened. Now, what if it was exactly the same? Let's now run a second version of the movie that's exactly the same as the first, except without the worrying. Okay? Now, how would things be? Would you be better off or worse off? Is there anything that would have been, uh, you know, missed or, or, or deficient uh, if if you'd lived your life the same way except without the worry, and I think the answer is you know speaks for itself. Yeah, how how you would experience your life. Yeah, I mean you you're propagating the time, but when you don't worry and you yeah. you settle back into a sense of ease, a sense of grace, the journey yeah. becomes much more um, up, um, fulfilling, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know you know you were asking before about kind of the benchmarks of what it's like to uh, uh, for a person uh, you know talking about how hard it is to sort of judge it objectively, but as a person becomes more spiritually awake. And I would say that one thing that happens is that the worry tends to drop off, the the extraneous noise tends to drop off. And another thing that happens is that, you know, as my girlfriend said to me all those years ago, you be, tend to become nicer. That's simple. Just you tend to become nicer. And a third thing that happens that I would say is just more and more, it just gets to be fun. 
this living thing. It's like, it's like, you know, my favorite mantra, and, you know, there's the traditional mantras of Om, so, which is great, and I sometimes use that stuff. But my favorite mantra is, Wee! <laughs> it draws an image, you know that. that. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, I'll, I'll really give you an image, because in my workshops, uh I, I I have people do that. I get the you know I'm I'm have, teaching people to meditate and we're going through this and that and I'll say okay now let's we're going to do the mantra here and uh, and I get the you know whole you know rooms full of people and and I make them throw their hands up in a gesture of wild exuberance wee and and you know I'll sometimes I'll say oh we'll do that three times and then I'll say now try to be depressed. And you can't do it when you when you've been throwing your hands up in the air and saying "wee," you cannot be depressed, and it's because that is, that is this is science. It sounds silly, uh, but it's it's science. When you're when you're doing that, you're, there's something called the facial feedback hypothesis, which is that not only does our face reflect our inner mood, but our inner mood reflects what's going on with our face. And when you throw your hands up and say, we, you can't say that without smiling. And, and people who, this is, this is a good thing. I'll do this in the shower in the morning. I wake up, I'm feeling kind of grumpy and just, it's really transformative for people who are suffering from chronic depression, clinical depression. The last thing they're going to want to hear is to throw your hands up and say, we, that's going to sound like just the stupidest thing in the world. But if you can, you know, force yourself to do it the first couple of times, you'll see that can really, really help you break out of that, that, that horrible depressed place. Right. I like that. Well, let's take a look at you, Dean. And um, mm-hmm. you've talked about workshops and mm-hmm. uh, we mentioned uh, books. The, mm-hmm. uh, give our listeners an idea of not only the services, the modalities that you offer, Mm-hmm. Um, but how they can engage you and um, um, g- give us uh, the whole picture of, of what you have sure. to offer. And go ahead. Sure. So the so the best easiest way to do this is go to my website, which is deanwords.com. Deanwords.com. Um, and there you'll see my teaching schedule. And again, I do workshops and, and retreats all over the country. Um, uh, I'm based here in Santa Monica, outside of Los Angeles. Here in Santa Monica, we have an open meditation, a meditation group, completely free of charge. Uh, it's uh, every, usually every other Tuesday night. Um, now, all for about the last year or so, I've been... Um, videotaping our Tuesday night sessions and putting them up on YouTube. So, it, and, and we always have, so I lead the meditation step by step, and then we have great group discussions. The discussion's different every time. So, again, through my website, people can uh, link to my YouTube channel uh, and just where I've got all those sessions archived and just watch any of the sessions, and I'll walk you through the meditation, get through the discussion. Uh, then also my books, um, my most popular book, uh, the one that won the, the, the prize in 2015 for the best body, mind, spirit book, is called uh, Natural Meditation, uh, a guide to effortless meditative practice. My most recent book uh, is called Fear Less, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction. Uh, I've been having a lot of good response to that book because, you know, there's so much fear, anxiety, anger, addiction, so much of that stuff kind of almost in the water supply these days. So there I address those things in very specific ways, give things you can do with your voice, such as that wee mantra and, and a number of other things with your voice, your breathing, things about, you know, sleeping better, specific things, addressing, um, uh, kicking, helping kick uh, alcoholism and, and drug addiction. Uh, and I've got a, a couple of uh, earlier books as well, and, and there's sample chapters from all of my books on the website as well. Well, very nice. It 
um, it's quite obvious you've been busy since 1970 in anecdotes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to suffer. I mean, that's really the message of all the great teachers, you know, whether it was Jesus or the Buddha or, or the, you know, the great Jewish guru, the Baal Shem Tov, or the great Islamic guru, Halaj, all of them, you don't have to suffer. Suffering is the, is the first noble truth. It's the thing that usually, you know, tugs at our sleeve and says, hey, you've got to do something about your life. But that's just the first step, noticing that suffering is going on and that as we get older, our bodies tend to break down and our friends die and, and you know, these things happen. That's just the first step. What, what we find out is that it's possible to, and it's easy, everyone can do it. It's so much easier than people think to take that turn inside, to find that so-called kingdom of heaven, that just simple, silent beingness, which is what you are at your innermost core, and to tap into that, and more and more to be living that moment to moment as you're going through the, you know, all of the, the challenges of the outside world. Everyone can do it. It's easy. It works. Those people, you know, Jesus and the Buddha, all those great enlightenment teachers, they were not liars. They were not fools. They were telling the truth. The stuff works. Right. Very nice. Well, Dean, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. It's been, it's, I've very much enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being our guest. Good. Thank you. I've enjoyed it too, Les. We've been talking with Dean Slider, and the topic tonight has been what me worry. The the when we when we do worry, when we look at society, when we wring our hands, when we when we drop into fret and concern about the future, typically we stop taking steps. And what I'm talking about as a closing thought is the notion of flow. There's an incremental um, aspect to a journey. You put one foot in front of the other. You, you, you have a flow. And, and that what I want to turn this to is the inspiration of your heart and your soul. Uh, when when we kind of stall and stutter because we're we get caught up in our head, we get caught up in mental dialogue. We can quit taking steps. We can quit taking action about the inspiration of our heart and our soul. And when you get inspiration, it's about the next step. So your heart and your soul will give you an inspiration about your next step. And the curious thing about that is you need to take that next step so the next inspiration can have a meaning, can have purpose. In other words, if you don't take action on the inspiration that's coming into your heart and your soul, it's not going to leapfrog the steps. It's going to stall. The inspiration will stall until you fulfill the inspiration that relates to you today, that relates to you now, that relates to you in this part of your journey. And so uh, it's a good habit to to have a temporal awareness, if you will, in the sense that am I responding to the inspiration that relates to who I am today? Because if we, if we kind of lose sight of that, we can actually stall. We can actually um, no longer take steps, no, have, uh, no longer have flow. 
But hey, you took a step. You listened to the episode tonight, and that that changed who you were. You had new information come in your mind, and and as a result, you're a different person than when the episode started. I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's always a pleasure bringing you episodes like this. Um, go to newhumanliving.com and check out that platform. I'm I created New Human Living to support people's souls showing up in their persona. And it, it's not everybody who walks down the street can, who can really embody their heart and their soul. And, and my passion is to, to help you accomplish that and fulfill that and fulfill why you're here. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us tonight. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.